to throw, looking. Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins' official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is Friday before Super Bowl. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we've got a great one for you guys. We're talking all things from the Senior Bowl and draft with the Athletics' Dane Brugler, as well as Miami Dolphins draft. We'll get into the Dolphins' presence in Mobile, coaching the practices in the game, Dane's first mock of the year, Fits for the Dolphins, breaking down this year's receivers class in comparison to last year's wide receiver class, and we'll hear Dane's rookie year evaluation on the Dolphins' 2020 draft class. All of that and more on this loaded Friday, February the 5th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So the Super Bowl is coming up on deck. It'll be the Chiefs and the Bucks Sunday from Tampa Bay. Can't wait to watch that game, the final football game of the season. Always a bittersweet moment, but that also means we get to turn ahead to the time of season where people that like to play the fake GM role like myself really enjoy the offseason. Free agency coming up, the combine before that, and then ultimately the draft at the end of April. And that's kind of our focus on this edition of Drive Time. The Dolphins were in Mobile to coach the Senior Bowl last week. We got Dane Brugler from The Athletic here to talk to us about that, about this year's draft class, about last year's Dolphins draft class. Plenty of good stuff here on this edition of Drive Time. Let's not waste any more of your time and get to Dane Brugler from The Athletic. And riding shotgun now on the Drive Time podcast is the Athletics NFL Draft Analyst. He's the co-host of the Prospect to Pros podcast, Dane Brugler. Dane, welcome in, man. Hey, Travis. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we're excited to have you in here because we tried to get you on during Senior Bowl week, but we understand that's a very busy time on the calendar for draft folks. And you did just finish up the Senior Bowl week. Up next would be the Scouting Combine, but I have to imagine as that changes in the NFL, it changes for you a little bit too, yeah? Oh, yeah, it's it's going to be a very different draft process. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why the Senior Bowl is so important. Um, you know, we don't have a combine this year. Uh, we don't know what the pro day circuit is going to look like exactly. Um, you know, we, we don't know. You know, we, we know there's going to be plenty of virtual interviews and things like that. But in, it, it's, it's, it's tough when you go back to the fall. Scouts, uh, area scouts usually are on the road visiting campuses during the week, going to practice and you know, really laying the groundwork uh, for the prospects in this class. But they weren't able to do that last fall. It's a lot of virtual things and, you know, leaning on relationships at different college programs to find out all that information, fill in the gaps. So it is a very, very different year. Uh, but that's why the Senior Bowl is so important, because uh, teams actually got some face time with these players, uh, none more than the Dolphins and Panthers who were able to coach those teams. So a really awesome opportunity for those two organizations. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Let's go ahead and, and peel the onion back on that just a little bit more here because, you know, we, we talked a little bit off air about some draft analysts around the, around the country. We talked about you doing uh, your podcast with Lance Erline, who I've referenced on MiamiDolphins.com on the podcast here several times on Drive Time. So you're in good company, Dane. But all, all you know, I listen to, to Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, and they talk a lot mm-hmm. about the process of, 
you know, when you go scout a game live in the fall, you kind of watch the way a guy interacts with his teammates, the way he is in the sideline, maybe the way he has those conversations with coaches when they come over to coach him up or whatever it might be. Did you get a sense of that in Mobile with the Dolphins coaching staff? And and how valuable is that that one-on-one time with these kids on the practice field? Oh, it's everything because, you know, even if you're not going to draft the player, you know, who knows, maybe in, in four years, you'll be looking at uh, him as a possible free agent addition. Um, you know, there, there are just so many connections, you know, you might be facing these guys in, in week two and, you know, you need a game plan for them. Um, and, you know, the, you could use it as, as simple as, you know, eliminating guys, you know, it just, okay, it wouldn't be a culture fit, wouldn't be a scheme fit. Um, but what, being at the, these events live is a big deal. Uh, for evaluators and you know I've been going to the senior bowl for 10 years now and it's you know I I learned early on from my scouting mentors that you know what you can learn a lot by just being observant and just keeping your eyes open and watching to see how guys interact and you know a great example of that was Dalen Hayes the Notre Dame pass rusher who was on the national squad uh, coached by the Dolphins and every time he would come off uh, the field from a rep uh, from uh, off the practice field he would go directly over to one of the assistant coaches and start breaking down technique and talking about what he's trying to do there and what he needs. And that's just a guy that understands the value of the senior bowl and, uh, you know, getting that NFL coaching. So uh, it's, it's a great, a great opportunity for the, those players that were able to go to uh, to mobile. There's about 140 of them that participated. And then just a great, uh, great opportunity for the dolphins to, uh, you know, get a better sense of who these guys are, and they probably have a little bit of a head start as we really dive into draft season. And that would likely be Dolphins uh, outside linebackers coach Austin Clark, who really did wonders this year with some players like Andrew Van Ginkle bringing their pass rush game along in his second year this season. Plenty of good teaching going on in the field. We saw all the, all the ESPNU and NFL Network clips with Gerald Alexander, Anthony Campanelli, Lemuel Jean-Pierre. It was fun, you know, as someone that knows these coaches and talks to these coaches, to, to see them on the field in their natural habitat, as it were. And it made me wonder, Dane, because you're out there every day. You know, when we watch Dolphins practice down in, in Davie, it, we see Danny Crossman, Dolphins special teams coordinator, getting after one of the best Dolphins or one of the best special teams units in the NFL. Did you get a chance to hear him yelling on the field out there at all? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you, you can't, you can't miss it. I mean, if you uh, if you're out there, if you're at the stadium, you're going to hear it. So uh, you know, and then there's, uh, I, I I thought the Dolphins, and it, nothing against you know Coach Rule and the Panthers, but I thought the Dolphins ran their practices much smoother. Um, you know, they just, it just, from a valuation standpoint, it was, everything was very quick and clean and, uh, really, really enjoyed coach Flores and his staff and the way they did things. So, uh, no, it, it was a, a great first practice, uh, each day. And it really, really helped, uh, evaluators figure these guys out. You're a natural podcaster, Dane, because you just led me into my next question, talking about what those practices look like. And, you know, because Flo always talks about taking the, the lessons you get from the classroom, putting them into the individual drills, and then you carry it over to the team periods of practice. And his biggest thing has always been improvement. And then he talked about being better than you were in September by the time December rolls around. I was mm-hmm. curious to get your take on how the, the national team progressed throughout the course of the week from Tuesday to Thursday. They say it's all about improvement in this week of senior bowl practices. Did you see that from the Dolphins side? Yeah, that, that's that's exactly it. You, it, it's tough when you're thrown into a game like this because you're working with coaches you never worked with, uh, teammates you never played with, and you know you're thrown into this fishbowl and asked to perform at your best. And so it could be tough. And usually, 
you know, we try not to beat up on these guys too much, especially on that Tuesday practice. But what you do want to see is the, the show improvement throughout the week um, as they gain that chemistry, as they start to really digest the playbook, uh, you know, the abbreviated playbook that they put, they put together and take the coaching that they're, that's uh, given to them by the, the staff. And so uh, several of these guys, I thought throughout the week, got better uh, Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday uh, on that Dolphin squad. I mean, you could look at a guy like Demetric Felton from UCLA who uh, was a wide receiver in high school, but they moved him to running back at UCLA. He was their starter, uh, but he was able to play more of a wide receiver role uh, down in Mobile. And I tell you, just getting some instruction from uh, the, the staff in terms of, uh, you know, the pacing, the steps uh, of his routes, because obviously he's, he's very unpolished in that area because he wasn't asked to run the downfield uh, routes very often, but by the end of the week, he was looking a lot more comfortable, a lot more confident, catching the ball very well away from his body. So I thought Demetric Felton was, uh, you know, a, a great, uh, great example of that. Who took the coaching and then got better and better each week. Uh, Trey Brown, the corner from Oklahoma, another one undersized, so easy to overlook him, but the tenacity that he plays with, the competitiveness. Um, you know, he he was a little too hands on earlier in the week, and then as the week went on, started to show a little more. Uh, a little more savvy with the way that he would disrupt routes and, you know, uh, uh, his presence and coverage. So, uh, you know, two examples there of guys that I thought got better and better as the week went on. That's great stuff. You mentioned Trey Brown. How many times did that guy intercept a pass in one-on-one drills? Like, that doesn't happen very often, and he was doing it regularly, it seems like, out there on the practice field. This is going a little bit off script, Dane, so just hear me here for a second. But you mentioned Demetric mm-hmm. Felton. You know, it reminds me of last year, Antonio Gibson really kind right. of jumped into the to the spotlight in the senior bowl week. Did you get the same sense in terms of that receiver running back type of convert? Like how does Demetric Felton compare to Antonio Gibson? Yeah, Felton's making the opposite transition yeah. where, yeah, Gibson was uh, a wide receiver in college, uh, but, you know, the senior bowl thought, okay, this is an opportunity for scouts to evaluate him at running back. And Felton, it, it was the, obvi- or the, the opposite. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, this is a very loaded slot wide receiver group. Um, this year in this year's class. And so he's kind of jumbled together with, uh, you know, there's uh, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, uh, Shai Smith, Cade Johnson, Tutu Atwell, uh, Dwayne Eskridge, who was another uh, wide receiver who was uh, outstanding uh, throughout the week of practice uh, at the Senior Bowl. Uh, so there's just a, a loaded group of wide receivers, uh, especially in the slot, those inside guys that are going to go somewhere between the second and fourth rounds. Um, and so I thought he helped himself in terms of just putting himself in that mix and really showing what he could do. Uh, and that's, and it's an example of, you know, if he doesn't get to go to the senior bowl, uh, you know, he's, if Antonio Gibson doesn't play at the senior bowl, he's probably drafted him with a sixth round yeah. as a wide receiver. And, you know, teams aren't quite sure what to do with them. Demetri Felton, same thing. If he does not able to go to the senior bowl, he's probably a late rounder. You know, you're kind of a gadget guy, not sure what to do with him. Now, he, what he showed at the Senior Bowl, that he can be more of a downfield threat as a receiver. All of a sudden, instead of a late rounder, he's probably going to go somewhere in that third, fourth range. It's awesome to get to get a chance to watch these guys go up against their peers that way because, you know, maybe competition in the college level is not always on par with what you might see in the NFL. So seeing these guys against fellow NFL players, it's an awesome opp- opportunity. It's And I think it's uh, definitely... A, a tip of the hat to Jim Nagy for what he's made the senior bowl and just his short time there. He did the podcast a, a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and man, he's getting like, even just getting Najee Harris and Landon Dickerson, Mac Jones, Devonte Smith, all those Alabama guys down there after the national championship. What a, what a feather in his cap that was. You mentioned the receivers, Dane. I want to circle back to that here in just one second, but I want to come back to an article you posted after the senior bowl practices had wrapped. Maybe it was after the game. I forget 
Who were your big winners of the Senior Bowl? Just in general, 32-team perspective, not an individual club. Who were your big winners of the Senior Bowl? Well, it has to start with Quinn Miners uh, from Wisconsin Whitewater. Uh, he Coming into the week, uh, he was viewed – the highest grade I heard on him was a six-round pick. That was the highest grade uh, just pulling different teams. And now he's probably in the top 100 conversation. Wow. He's probably a, a day-two pick with the week that he had. And he, he didn't play this year. Uh, the Division three did not have a 2020 season. Uh, and you go back to his 2019 stuff, and it was good, uh, but it wasn't dominant. It wasn't amazing. Um, you know, the way you would necessarily think at the division three level, but the last year he was able to rework his body and really work on some of the, the finer points, of the position he goes to, uh, to mobile and, uh, just was dominant from, from day one. And not only that, but he was a left guard in college and he had never snapped before. And he goes to center and he's playing center during practice. Like he's done it his entire life. So Quinn Miners, uh, just one of the, the biggest risers this year. Um, he, he's going to, you know, make a, a big jump off up draft boards could be one of the first, you know, three interior linemen or, or three centers, I should say three centers drafted with uh, Creed Humphrey and Josh Myers. So it, it's just a, a really big jump for him. I thought Richie Grant, the safety from UCF was outstanding. He, I had a third round grade on him coming into the week. He jumped up a full round. He's in the second round mix now could go easily in the top 50 range, uh, ball skills, uh, former wide receiver, so he does wide receiver-like things at the catch point, which is what you want to see. He can run the alleys downhill and uh, blow up uh, run support, uh, blow up guys and run support. So there's just a lot of things you can do with a Richie Grant. He can play different positions on the field, and that versatility uh, really is key. And, you know, I, I think I mentioned D. Eskridge earlier. Uh, I, I liked him coming in. I had, a, I think, when I my top 100 board, he was 76 overall, I believe. Uh, so I, I had a mid third round grade on D Eskridge uh, coming into the week, but no one could cover him throughout the week. And uh, like, he's small, uh, 5'9", 185. But when you have that gear changing acceleration where you just can keep defenders off balance and create your own separation like that and also be very strong at the catch point with your hands, uh, you know, there, there's going to be a place for you uh, in the NFL. And I think that's going to translate. So I think D Eskridge, he was already in that third round mix. And he even helped himself more uh, with his week at the Senior Bowl. So you made a couple of comments there that have, have me going off script once again. Dane, I want to pick your brain here, man, because this is great stuff. You mentioned, you know, D. Eskridge might be a little bit undersized. Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan. That seems to be the case with a lot of receivers in this group. You mentioned Tutu Atwell earlier. People talk about Devontae Smith's slender frame, the Slim Reaper. Like, how important is size in today's NFL at that position, maybe in general? Like, is it as big of a deal as it used to be? There's different philosophies from team to team. You know, the Ravens drafted Marquise Hollywood Brown in the in the first round, where a lot of teams would not have done that. Uh, meanwhile, a DK Metcalf in the yeah. same draft because <laughs> a full round later. You know, I just it, it, there's different philosophies uh, with different teams, and I think more than anything, more than size, more than it's just it's about speed. Can yeah. you can you create separation uh, before and after the catch? You know, when I was uh, you know learning how to scout and all that things uh, you know i was taught when it come when you're scouting receivers it comes down to just two things you know just keep it simple can you get open can you catch the football and you know that was that was a while ago but now these days i think there's a third element to that can you get open can you catch the football and then can you create after the catch that is becoming more and more uh, just a, such an important part of today's nfl um and you know you, you're looking for those explosive plays and defenses are trying to stop those explosive plays. So if you can find guys that can, you know, help create those those chunk plays, those home run plays, 
then uh, you're, you're in good shape. And that's why Devontae Smith, even at 175 pounds, is still going to be somewhere in, you know, the top 10, top 12 mix because he's just he's proven himself as that big play guy. Um, and, you know, a guy like Tutu Atwell, who I think is very similar to a Hollywood Brown, where he's 5'9", 170 pounds, just, you know, a very skinny, slender frame. But when you watch his tape, he just looks like he's moving at a different speed than everybody else. He can fly, consistently win over the top. So, um, you know, Rondale Moore's in this mix, Elijah Moore, uh, Amari Rogers, who's another uh, standout at the Senior Bowl. Uh, he's another guy in that day two mix who uh, is a little bit undersized, but again, he, his play strength is a big part of what he does. So he might be short, but he's not small. He's he's pretty well put together. It's you know, size is something that you know each uh, each receiver brings something different to the table. But more importantly, it's about speed and cre- uh, create this, your own separation and create those big plays. Yeah, you mentioned create separation, catch the football, create big plays after you catch the football. I mean, that mm-hmm. reminds me of what Tua Tungavailoa had in spades at Alabama that really helped that offense explode. And is, isn't that kind of what you can capitalize on the accuracy and the timing and the quick release and the kind of sharp between the ears processing that Tua Tungavailoa has? Like, isn't that a great fit for him to have those guys that can create that separation because of that pinpoint accuracy that helps to create the yak? Yeah, no question. Yeah, you want to... You want to put these guys in position so they can catch the ball in stride. And with if they only have a step of separation, that's all you need. And just let them do something after the catch. Uh, and I think, yeah, with Tua, that's exactly what he can do. With He's got all that twitch in his, in his arm where he can fire off those quick throws. Uh, and the way he sees the field, the way he can process before the snap, he understands where that vulnerable matchup is going to be. And so as he develops chemistry with his receivers, uh, you know, We'll see if they maybe add another receiver uh, in the draft or this offseason. And as he gets to, you know, more comfortable with those guys and understands exactly where they're going to be, uh, you know, I think there's a big jump coming for Tua, uh, you know, between his, his first year and his second year. It's it's tough to play the quarterback position at the NFL. And when everything is – it's all predicated on timing. And, you know, I mean, you have to be able to, uh, you know, hit your receivers on time or, or you're just – it's it, it's not going to end well. And so – uh, with a guy like Tua, I think you know he was so used to you know, guys being a little bit more wide open um, at the college level at Alabama, and he just has to adjust to the differences between college open and NFL open. And in the NFL open, those those those, those windows are just a little bit smaller. And so I think he'll adjust. I think he'll get there. It's just it, you know it's it's tough. And you know I think he's in for a big jump as a sophomore in uh, his NFL career. Not to mention the NFL basically having no offseason. And what he did have of an offseason, he was rehabbing the hip that was injured just last November. So, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that he was coming back off of a very serious injury. We're happy to see him healthy, moving around and feeling good down here. I can't wait to see what he does, like you mentioned, in year two. Let's go ahead and turn this thing back towards the general draft. Outside the Senior Bowl, we got Dane Brugler here of The Athletic. How much time, Dane, do you spend focusing on like scheme fits and team needs for particular clubs or for you, since you kind of are, you know, a GM of all 32 teams, so to speak, is it more about just trying to stack your board from the best on down? How much does like team fit and scheme fit come into play for you? Well, yeah, I think from a general perspective, because that's how I attack this draft. I'm, I'm not scouting with a specific scheme in mind or, you know, culture in mind, things like that. I'm, I'm scouting these guys and trying to best understand where they would fit at the next level. And so, you know, when I do my write-ups, I do my reports, um, you know, I'll, I'll mention in there, he's, you know, best as a, a Sam and a three, four uh, scheme or 
you know, best as a, a sub package rusher or, you know, whatever it may be, uh, you know, try to identify uh, the key traits and then how that's going to translate. Some of these guys are very scheme versatile. You know, you, you think they could fit in wherever they're, uh, whatever offense that they're, they're in and where other guys are a little more scheme specific and they need a certain role to win at the next level. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's part of my job as kind of a, a general uh, evaluator of these guys. And that can make it tough when you're trying to stack these players, you know, because I could have, you know, there, there are times where, um, you know, I'll have a certain wide receiver over another, but once, uh, you know, a certain player goes to a certain team on draft day, I, you know, look at it and say like, oh, well, he's going to outplay where I drafted him because he would just went to the perfect spot. That's, that's, they're going to be used in the right way and things like that. So it's, it's a little tough doing it from a very general perspective without a certain scheme in mind. But, you know, I, I find that very, I find it challenging, but also a lot of fun because I get to kind of, you know, keep my mind open about, okay, where would this guy best fit? How could we best use him? And then just kind of keeping an open mind about it. It's definitely different. I think it's like you mentioned, challenging is definitely the word I would use because when you look at a certain team and you have the knowledge of of the background of that team, it definitely helps when it comes to picking out certain players for that specific team. And with that in mind, since we are on drive time here, part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network, we got to jump into your last mock draft. I think it was 1.0, right? Back in January. Uh, I think it's 2.0. Yeah, I think I've done two at this point so far. That's my bad. I apologize, Dane. But you did go with the Dolphins have four picks in the top 50 here. Pick number three, mm-hmm. Devontae Smith out of Alabama, the receiver. Quiddy Pay, the defensive end out of Michigan. Travis Etienne, the running back from Clemson. And Josh Myers, the center out of Ohio State. Can you walk us through that mock draft and how those guys fit here? Yeah, so, you know, starting with uh, Devontae Smith, you know, I don't, it, it, taking a receiver 175 pounds at number three overall seems like a little bit of a reach just on paper, but I mean, anybody that watched Devonte Smith this year, uh, you know, how could you not be impressed with his ability to get open and then just uh, be, a, be a dynamic playmaker. Um, he just, you, you do worry about the frail build a little bit. Um, you know, he's not a, a burner. He's not going to run a fourth three, but he's so natural in everything that he does. He finds space to work. He finishes, finishes catches and he doesn't go down easy. He's a lot tougher than he looks. Uh, he's he's a lot more he's a lot more competitive than some 225 pound uh, receivers out there. Uh, he, he's used across the formation, so you, he's not a you know you have to play him at, at at the Z or you have to play him the slot, whatever. He can play across the formation, uh, and he's just he's got that explosive athleticism. He's an instinctive route runner and very natural hands. You're not going to find many drops on his tape. So. Uh, you reunite, and part of the you know, mocking him to the Dolphins at three is reuniting him with uh, a Tua Viloa. And you know, you want to help your your young quarterback as much as you can. What better way to help him with a dynamic weapon that he's already comfortable with? So I think that'd be uh, you know a great fit, a great pairing. That you know, on paper, again, that seems like maybe a little rich. But when you're talking about what he offers and how he can help uh, specifically that Dolphins offense, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, so going to the second first round pick, I'd quitty pay who is, I think this is a, this is a player that I think coach Flores is really going to appreciate because he can play, he can, he's outstanding versus the run, uh, can shut down the edges, but he also can give you some twitch, uh, as a pass rusher and threaten the backfield and really force them to get off rhythm. Uh, he, he can move up and down the line of scrimmage. He, he can slither around blockers. Uh, but he also has some power in his hands. 
he's got that locked in attitude that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let anybody outwork me, outcompete me, uh, you know, out, out uh, effort me type of type of attitude. And I think that's something that shows on film shows on, on the stat sheet and, and something that uh, coaches will certainly appreciate. Um, and then second round, what do we have in the second round? We went with uh, jo- uh, Travis Etienne, then Josh Myers. That's right. Yeah. And, if, you don't, you know, if you don't mind, ET- Dane, if you don't mind, could you just talk about Etienne and the entire running back class kind of as it pertains to that top couple of rounds projections? Yeah, this running back class, I think that, you know, there's a couple guys at the top that are clearly the top guys. And, you know, it's not as strong as last year's uh, running back class where we had, you know, five or six in the top 50, 55 picks. Um, but, you know, there's a few guys at the top that are really intriguing, starting with Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. Um, you know, Najee Harris is a great example of a player that got better and better and better uh, as a senior, uh, which we don't really see a lot of running backs come back for their senior year. But it worked out for Najee Harris, who's a much more complete player and has a chance to go in the first round. Uh, but Travis Etienne, you know, he's also in that mix. He came back for a senior year to get better. And, you know, he had more opportunities as a downfield pass catcher this year. Uh, got a little bit better in pass protection. So, you know, he helped himself. He's now as a, a possible first round pick, which he probably wasn't a year ago. I, I think that's a possible marriage uh, that could work. And, you know, you got Javante Williams from North Carolina, Michael Carter, North Carolina. I think both those guys are, are day two picks. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis as well. So it's a, it's a solid running back group. Um, you know, there's some, you know, really intriguing mid round guys like Khalil Herbert from Virginia tech and uh, Larry Roundtree, Missouri. So uh, a really interesting group of running backs, but if they have a chance to get a playmaker like ETN, uh, it'd be pretty tough to say no, because he can impact the game in so many different ways. You can leave him home the block, but he can also go out and pass catch. And I think he's going to get better and better in those areas with the more experience uh, and the more reps that he has. And he's just, he has that, Starts uh, start stop suddenness that you know he can make full uh, full speed cuts without gearing down. It just it makes it really tough on the defense, and so to add a weapon like that would certainly uh, you know help the offense. And then Josh Myers uh, at center, it's just a, a plug and play guy, six five, three hundred fifteen pounds. Um, I don't know that he's necessarily uh, elite as you know a mover or talking about you know, from a power perspective. But he's just very well rounded. Um, you know, he's a guy that you know, finishes the mission, gets it, gets the job done. He can play uh, center or guard. He's got that experience at both. Um, just a really quality plug and play type of interior lineman. I want to go back real quick to the Travis Etienne running back mention that you had there because I'm curious when it comes to Najee and, and Travis, which you know seem to be the one-two running backs on most boards ahead of you know the North Carolina kids and then whatever comes after that. But I'm curious, what difference does it do for your offense when you have a Najee Harris compared to a Travis Etienne? Like, are those two things you're going to have to prepare for differently? Are they just versatile enough where it all kind of works out? Like, what's the difference between those two backs in a given offense? Well, obviously, uh, you know, ETN, uh, I'll, I'll use a baseball reference to kind of, you know, make my point. I think ETN, has he's got more home run power. Okay. You know, you, you have to really, uh, you know, back up to the warning track when uh, Travis ETN uh, gets the football. Where Najee Harris, he's more of a, a doubles, uh, you know, he's got doubles power. And, you know, so you're talking about two different uh, types of types of runners who could be equally productive just in different ways. ETN's got that. He's got more juice. He's got more. Uh, he has his feet are a little more electric. Um, he, he's uh, that that deadly start stop suddenness that I mentioned is that, that forces missed tackles. Where Najee Harris has a little more power. He doesn't. I think he only has one um, play of fifty yards or more uh, in his career, which you know obviously is not many. Where ETN I think has twelve. 
So that's where I'm talking about the home runs versus the doubles. Uh, you know, I think Najee Harris probably the better, more reliable pass catcher. Uh, he's going to give you more as a between the tackles runner, uh, as, as an inside guy. But Etienne can give you a little more juice on the outside. He can make uh, you know those chunk plays that we're talking about. So uh, I, I think from a defensive perspective, yeah, you're you're preparing for these guys in different ways, but both can be equally productive uh, with different strengths that they have. And from that running back position back out to the receiver group. And, you know, I think I talked about Daniel Jeremiah earlier. I think he said that last year's receivers class was the best he had done since he'd ever, since he came into the industry back in 2003. And then this year's class, Dane, just seems like it might be picking up right where that one left off. I'm curious how you stack the top of both those classes, like maybe your top five or six guys. How does it rank out from the 2021 class and the 2020 class with Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, uh, C.D. Lamb, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen. Like, how do those guys stack up for you? Yeah, it's it's really fascinating exercise to do it. Um, and, yeah, last year we had I mean, 12 receivers drafted in the top two rounds, which is yeah. an NFL <laughs> record. And, you know, this year in my top 100, um, I think I had 17 receivers. So it's just, yeah, it's another loaded class. And you could argue that it's even more top-heavy than it was a year ago when we didn't have a receiver taken in the top 10. This year we could have two uh, receivers taking top 10, maybe three in the top 12. Uh, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. Jamar Chase, it, it's interesting because, you know, we, we have an opt-out. You know, we, this is something we really haven't had to deal with before from an evaluation standpoint. Guys choosing not to play, um, you know, with everything going on with the pandemic. And, you know, you have to evaluate each one of these guys individually. And, you know, uh, but what Jamar Chase did last year as a sophomore and that LSU offense I don't know that he necessarily had to play another year to show us anything. I think we know what he is. Uh, he's a guy that has that gear changing acceleration. Uh, he's got that my ball attitude down the field where he's going to come down with it. Just a really uh, you know, dynamic player with what he can do at all levels of the defense. And so um, I, Jamar Chase to me is the top receiver this year. I think you know, there's, there's some maybe a little bit of recency bias out there, you know, with, with Devontae Smith, what he's done. But to me, Jamar Chase, he's the top guy, six foot, 210 pounds. Uh, He's got speed. He's got ball skills. He's got power. Just not many weaknesses in his game. I I think he's maybe a smaller version of like a Larry Fitzgerald, that style of pass catcher. So I think there's a lot going on uh, uh, going for him at the next level. Uh, Devontae Smith, you know, who we we talked about, he's he's also you can make an argument better than any of uh, the receivers that went last year with Ruggs and Judy and Lamb. Um, and then even Jalen Waddle. I mean, Jalen Waddle is another guy that maybe uh, isn't as if he had a chance to play the entire year. Maybe we're talking about Jalen Waddle a little bit more, uh, but he you know fractured his ankle in I think the fourth game or something like that. And so, but he he's got that speed. He was a much better route runner this year. Uh, natural catching the football. Uh, I mean, he's he's a little further along than Henry Ruggs was at this point of their career. So the top three are really impressive. And then after that. Kadarius Tony from Florida, who is just it's watching him at the senior bowl. It just moves differently yeah. than everybody else. Um, you know, he's got that. I don't care what position you're playing or, you know, if you're scouting edge rusher or uh, receiver or whatever, you want guys with that one step burst. And that's what Kadarius Tony has. He's got that one step burst that really uh, it forces uh, uh, coverage defenders to be in conflict. And so he's a weapon that could easily see him go in the first round. And then after that, it's just a really loaded, uh, rounds two through four. There's a lot of slot options in there. There's some bigger guys like a Terrace Marshall, uh, Deami Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown. So there, there's a lot of different options, a lot of different types of receivers in this class. And, you know, it's 
it, it's very comparable to last year, if not better. So it's just it, it, that maybe, and, and that's where you get down to draft philosophy. And if you're looking at it and say, okay, well, there's a lot of different options in this class. Is it worth us passing on receiver in the top 10 and maybe going in a different direction, offensive tackle or, or whatever, an edge rusher? Is, is it better going with another position and waiting to get our receiver? Or, you know, is Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, are they just that good where it's worth taking a receiver this early and then, you know, just seeing how the rest of the positions play out? To me, that's why you do mock drafts. You find out where the cluster busters are, where you can find different yeah. groupings of, of positions and where guys might shake out later in the draft. Great stuff there from you, Dane Brugler. Uh, I want to finish up with this question real quick because we talk about the 2021 draft class. Dolphins obviously well positioned with the third pick with uh, four picks in the top 50. But what about some stuff you liked from the Dolphins 2020 rookie class? You talked about Tua Tungavailoa earlier, Austin Jackson, Noah Igbenogany, Raekwon Davis, uh, Robert Hunt, Brandon Jones, the list goes on. What did you like out of that class this season? Yeah, you know, they had a lot of draft capital, and I think they really capitalized on on what they had. Um, you know, with, with Tua, like I said, I think he's in for a, a big jump as a sophomore. I, I think he's in for a, a nice little bump uh, in year two uh, as he continues to grow and develop at the position. It gets, it gets healthy. Um, and then after that, you know, Austin Jackson, I thought, in, you know, he outplayed where he was drafted at, 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 uh, so for several uh, points of the season. Uh, I think he, you know, you can look at him as your, your the future left tackle and feel good about that. Uh, and then the same thing, Robert Hunt uh, on the other side. I think I, I really liked Robert Hunt. He was my top guard coming out, but he played right tackle, uh, and you know that's how the Dolphins were using him, and he, he did a nice job. But I think he gives you that versatility. If the Dolphins want to uh, get an add another tackle in this draft, they can move Robert Hunt inside, and I, so I think that versatility that he offers is something that's really valuable. He is a starter in the league. And it's just all about, okay, well, where, where is our, where do you want to put him to get our best five on the football field? Um, you know, I really like what they did on day two with Raekwon Davis. You know, I wasn't the biggest Raekwon Davis uh, fan. We were talking about him as a top 10, top 15 pick, but at pick 56. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> you do that all day. I mean, what he can give you as a run defender uh, in terms of, uh, you know, blowing up gaps and, uh, you know, understanding what the offense is trying to do and staying ahead of the play. He, he, he really did a nice job of that and got better as the season went on. And then I was always a Brandon Jones fan watching him at Texas, uh, whether you're playing him at nickel, whether he's trying to you know be more of a free safety, whatever you were doing with him. I thought that he had that versatility to you know play in different areas. Very, I love his competitive toughness. Uh, he plays through injury, injuries constantly and you, you know, you, you wouldn't know it. He's not going to sit there and complain. His play doesn't necessarily suffer. Um, he plays with an excellent play speed, excellent toughness, and you can use those guys um, at any point. And then, uh, you know, on day three, when you can find a, a Solomon Kinley, uh, you know, a guy that obviously saw a lot of action as a rookie and, you know, gave you a lot of positive reps and reason to believe that he's got a future uh, in the starting lineup, uh, you know, you have to take that as a win. So I think the Dolphins, you know, they had a lot of picks to work with, but, you know, it's, it's one thing to have the picks. It's another to hit on them and, you know, feel confident about what you did. But I definitely think the Dolphins can be optimistic about that 2020 class moving forward. Awesome stuff there. From The Athletic, the Prospects to Pros podcast with Lance Zerline. And you can find him at DP Brugler on Twitter. Dane, thank you so much for your time today, man. I'm sure the fans are going to love this podcast. We'll have to get you back on here again soon. Anytime. I appreciate it. Thanks, Travis.
And so there you have it. There he goes. That was fantastic. Plenty of good information there. Plenty of good scouting notes from Dane, as well as getting some insight there from the senior bowl and the Dolphins practices. You know, I talked about this back in 2019 when I covered the Dolphins training camp practices as part of Locked On. And I was so impressed by the pacing of the Dolphins running those practices under Brian Flores for the first time. I had seen, you know, college practices, NFL practices around the, the landscape, you know, over here in the Pacific Northwest. And I always thought, you know, looking back on those 2019 practices, how impressed I was with the pace and how quickly they were able to get things done. It sounds like Dane saw the same thing down there in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. And talking about the two rookie offensive linemen, Raekwon Davis, Brandon Jones, Tua Tungavailoa, all the draft picks we have coming this year. It's good to hear a draft expert really kind of love what the Dolphins are putting together down here in Miami. And just a really good podcast guest here in general. We're going to have to get Dane back on here in the very near future very, very soon. But away he goes. Super Bowl on Sunday. Who you guys got? I'm going to go with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. I just, he's too good. To me, he's too good. I think that offense is too explosive. Even for Tom Terrific in his 10th Super Bowl, which is just absurd to say. I think this this Chiefs offense has too much firepower to handle, along with enough takeaways and big plays on defense from guys like Tyron Matthew and Chris Jones and Frank Clark on that Kansas City defense. So give me the Chiefs for their second consecutive Super Bowl victory, the first time a team will have repeated since the Patriots did it back in 03 and 04. That's my pick. For the Super Bowl, we'll come back with you guys next week here on Drive Time and get back into the Dolphins offseason ahead. Talk about more, more about the 2020 season as well. Plenty of content here on the Drive Time podcast. As for today's time, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast. They just published their next animation, the Jim Carrey story with Ralph Stringer. Do not che- do not miss that. Check that out. Also, the Audible with Kim and John. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.